0: Let us pray. Amos, eternal and everlasting, Father, we are thankful for your grace and your mercy, thankful for the privilege that you have given us to assemble together this evening to study a portion of your word. We recognize that the human mind is not capable of understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit, so it's a request that the Holy Spirit will Provide us the concentration that we need to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. Exodus chapter 17 verses 1 through 7 that we have been studying. Again he reads, And they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand The staff with which you struck the nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Meribah. Because the Israelites quarreled. And because they tasted the Lord's saying. Is the Lord among us or not? Now, let me remind you, in a sense, for the last time, that the primary message of the major section of Exodus chapter 16, verse 1 through chapter 17, verse 7 is be careful about grumbling against your spiritual leaders, since doing so is the same as grumbling against God now we had uh, previously indicated that the present section of our study Exodus 17 verses 1-7 through will be expanded based on four lessons the first we have considered is that God's leading does not mean you will not encounter difficulties in other words just because you are doing God's will does not mean you will not encounter difficulties The second, derived from the responses of Israel and Moses to the challenge of having no drinking water at Refidim, is to learn to take your complaints to the Lord and avoid blaming spiritual leaders for the difficulties you encounter. And as a general rule, as a believer, you stop complaining. Take your problem to the Lord. The third is that spiritual leaders may gently rebuke believers who respond incorrectly to difficulties. They should pray to the Lord to provide solution to their difficulties. The fourth is learn to claim the Lord's promises, provided you fulfil. The implied conditions of the promises. And stand by these promises until you get result from him. Now the fourth lesson is associated with the way the Lord answered Moses' prayer that involved instructions and promises. We have uh, considered the four commands of the Lord issued to Moses and followed by his promise of manifesting his presence in a unique way to Moses at a specific rock at Horeb. But before we get to the second promise, that uh, the Lord issued one more command to Moses. Now it is with this command that we begin our study this evening. The next command The Lord issued Moses concerning the action he should take once he gets to the rock at Horeb. Now this command is given in Exodus 17 verse 6. Again it says, strike the rock. Now the word strike here is uh, translated from a Hebrew word that may mean to kill. To kill. As in the declaration of Cain regarding his life as a complaint to God after he pronounced judgment upon him, according to Genesis chapter 4, verse 15. Genesis chapter 4, verse 15. Genesis chapter 4 verse 15 reads but the Lord said to him not so if anyone kills Cain he will suffer vengeance seven times over then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him will kill him now that word uh, kill here is the same Hebrew word translated strike in the command strike the rock now the word may mean to afflict, to afflict, as in one of the causes course, that will come upon Israel for failure to keep the terms of his covenant with the Lord as stated in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 27. The Lord promised, I mean there are several curses that uh, are given in that chapter as well as blessings. But um, our word is used here to describe with the meaning afflict. In Exodus 28, 27 reads, the Lord will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors festering sores and the itch from which you cannot be cured. Now the Hebrew word may mean to defeat, to defeat, as it is used in Israel's defeat of the enemies, as stated in Joshua, chapter 10, verse 10. Joshua, chapter 10, verse 10. Joshua chapter ten, verse ten. He reads, "The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth." Uh, Huron and cut them down all the way to Ezekah and Makeda. Now, the word then in our passage really though means to strike in the sense of delivering a sharp blow, as with the hand at the fist or with an instrument or some kind of weapon. Of course, Moses was to strike a rock with a staff in his hand that the Lord had already told him to take, as we read in verse 5 of the same uh, Exodus chapter 17 that we are studying. Now the result of Moses' obedience to the instruction of the Lord to strike the rock at Horeb is the second promise of the Lord, which is the availability of water for Israel to drink, as in the clause, of Exodus 17 verse 6. Where we are starting. It reads. And water will come out of it. For the people to drink. Now the word. And here. Is translated from a Hebrew particle. That is often known as. Translated and in our English version. However. The Hebrew particle. Has several other. Usages. Now it is used twice. In our uh, clause when they say and water will come out of it for the people to drink since really the clause for the people to drink is more literally and the people will drink so that Hebrew particle is used twice although in the NIV it looks used once anyway in the first usage of the meaning and is the meaning and is intended to convey an additional promise of the Lord to Moses of what the Lord will do. Now the second usage of the Hebrew particle may be interpreted to mean that to indicate that what happens will be sequential to the striking of the rock, in which case it may be translated then. Now this may really be the interpretation. Adapted by the translators of the new living translation. Now another interpretation of the second usage of our Hebrew particle is that it is used to indicate result. In which case, it may be translated so that or simply that. So the translators of the NIV render the second usage of the particle as the usual for. That may indicate purpose or goal. Now, that notwithstanding, the second usage of the Hebrew particle is both to indicate that what the Lord promised would be sequential to striking the rock and it will result from it. So, the Lord's promise of water coming from the rock when Moses strikes the rock is for the purpose. Of satisfying the thirst for water of the Israelite, as that is what is conveyed in the clause of Exodus, for the people to drink, for the people to drink. In verse six, I said "For the people to drink." Now we know that the Israelites complained to Moses for lack of drinking water at Rephidim, but the Lord promised Moses to provide drinking water a short distance from residence since the rock that is to be struck is at Horeb or at Sinai. Doesn't the promise of the Lord to Moses of water coming out of uh, the rock when struck is a promise to satisfy the thirst of the Israelites? Now, Our God, in his goodness, and in his kindness, ensured that Israel's thirst for water was satisfied. Actually, we can say that the promise of the Lord to Moses about satisfying Israel's thirst extends beyond humans that he created, of course, but also... To the animals he created. See Israel. Left Egypt with their livestock. So they also. Would be thirsty for water. Hence. When the Lord provided water. To Israel. He also provided for their livestock. Demonstrating the truth. That God cares. For his creation. For after all. His plan extends to animals as evident in his provision for them as we read in Psalm 104, verse 14. Psalm 104, verse 14. Psalm 104, verse 14. 14. It is, he makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. So, he provides for animals and for humans. So, anyway, the Israelites, because of their situation, did not realize that their God was not going to let them go Without satisfying their thirst. God in his goodness provides for the needs of his people. So when Samson was thirsty for water. After his victory over the Philistines. The Lord provided him water to satisfy his thirst. When he prayed to the Lord as we read in Judges chapter 5 verses 18 and uh, 19. Judges, chapter 15, verses 18 through 19. Now there's nothing like, I know, I know some people don't want to drink water. That's what God created for our bodies. Not papa or all the other things. Water. That's what you should be drinking. See, I'm not saying don't drink other things. But water is what God created for our bodies. And so we keep bringing him, providing water and water and water. Look at what he says here. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the uh, hollow uh, place in Levi. And water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. Now you, of course, if you've never really been in a position where you didn't have water, you don't know what I'm talking about. And those who have been in the military or in the war front, where if you run out of water for days, you realize how important it is to drink water. You can go without food for some days But water? no that's what we see here so here it says so the spring was called En-Hakari and it, it is still there in Lehi. that is as of the day that the book of Judges was written so the point though is that God in his goodness ensures that his plan is fulfilled so that even when we face Desperate situations, he will show his goodness to us. Now I keep making these applications to us because many times, because we are not paying attention to these details, we are suffering. It's it's not mean that you're going to go to hell because you do this or don't do that. It's it's just your body is going to be suffering here. And you'll be the one in pain anyway. Because you're not using what God told you to use. And he's not going to uh, do anything about it because he's given instruction about his provisions for us and we keep rejecting it. That's our business. Anyway, it says, so that is the thing that uh, we do see that God will continue to provide water for the one who is thirsty. Now that was also demonstrated when Hagar and Ishmael ran out of water so that Hagar that her son would die out of thirst, but God came to their rescue, according to Genesis chapter 21, verse 19. Genesis chapter 21, verse 19. Genesis chapter 21 verse 19. It is. Then God opened her eyes. And she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water. And gave the boy a drink. So in any case. The promise of the Lord to Moses about providing Israel water to drink, to remind us that the Lord deals with more than our physical need or us. More than that. Now the promise of quenching, this thirst extends so to the spiritual. In other words, the Lord Jesus promised that those Who are thirsty in the sense of being in spiritual need will find satisfaction in him because he will give them eternal life, as he stated during his interaction with the Samaritan woman, as we read in John chapter 4, verse 14. John chapter 4, verse 14. John chapter 4 verse 14. John chapter 4 verse 14. This is what the Lord says. But whoever drinks the water. I will give him. Will never thirst. Indeed. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now the promise of the Lord, Jesus, that whoever drinks the water he provides will never thirst. It's a promise that he will give eternal life so that those who have it through faith in Jesus Christ will never lack what it takes to be joyous. Or to be satisfied in the eternal state. There it begins here. If you actually get what he provides, you will never lack the idea of being satisfied on this planet. It's not doesn't mean you're going to have everything you need on this planet. No. It's one of the things that you will continuously have is this sense of satisfaction. No matter what you have, you'll be satisfied. But if you don't have this provision, this feeling of the spiritual thirst, you can have everything the world can give you, and you will never be satisfied. You keep looking for more. Keep looking for more. Because you don't have the water that the Lord gives. In other words, your thirst in the spiritual sense has not been quenched. Now the promise of the Lord Jesus that is concerned with thurser in a spiritual sense, extends then to the blessing of those who thirst for righteousness. As we read in what he promised in his Sermon on Mount, on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 verse 6. Matthew. Chapter 5 verse 6. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now the one who hungers and thirsts for Righteousness is that believer who desires the purity of life and all that pleases God. That believer who is constantly desiring purity of life and everything that pleases God. Now those who fit this description are promised that they will be filled. Now although it is not explicitly stated, the context indicates that such individuals will be filled with righteousness. Now, what does it really mean to be filled with righteousness? There are those who uh, who take this as an imputed righteousness. That is the righteousness that is transferred to us at the time we believe. By faith in Christ, God transfers God's righteousness to you. That's called imputed Righteousness. There are those who take it that way, and so to them uh, they, they look at this righteousness as that imputed righteousness that is that they as uh, they see as the believers uh, they refer to that immediate forgiveness of sin and then then the imputation of the righteousness of God to that person. Well while the doctrine is correct That is not What is meant here Simply put It means that God Is going to produce That which pleases him In the believer In other words If you trust for righteousness If you are really I'm not talking about pretending If you are actually trusting for it God Is going to ensure that he enables you to please him. That's what we're saying. So this is really a way then. To state that uh, the believer who deserves righteousness. Will be provided with the means to attend this. Now this means. Or, or the means provided. is really indeed the Holy Spirit of course. And the word of God. Hence then to be filled With righteousness, is another way of saying that the believer will have the fullness of the Spirit to produce the character of Christ in that person. For true righteousness can only be the result of the filling of the Holy Spirit. So this promise indicates that those who seek to live for Christ are guaranteed that they will do so. If you indeed truly seek to live to please the Lord, you will do so. Because he's going to provide you the power to do so. So if I may put it in another way, a believer who desires to live Christ-like will indeed be able to do so if if that person follows the instruction of the word of God. So the point is that as the Lord promised Moses that he would satisfy the physical thirst of Israel, he also promised to satisfy the spiritual thirst of his children who seek him. So be that as he may, the fourth lesson that we're considering then is this. Learn to claim the Lord's promises. Provided you fulfil the implied conditions of the promises and stand by them, stand by those promises, don't waver until you get results from Him, from God. Now this lesson then indicates that we cannot. What this lesson means is that we cannot boldly claim any promise of God without meeting a condition or conditions attached to the specific promise. See, in effect, if a promise requires obeying a given instruction, then we should not confidently claim the promise without fulfilling the attached condition. Now this is what, this is really because God, Often attaches a condition or conditions to a given promise. Take for example, the promise of blessing of Israel in a physical sense is premised on obedience to His word, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter eleven verses thirteen through fifteen. Deuteronomy, chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. Deuteronomy, chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. Read verse 11, read so. If, that's a condition. If you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today. To love the Lord your God. And to serve Him with all your heart. And with all your soul. Then, I will send rain on your land in its season. both autumn and spring grains. So that you may gather in your grain... New wine and oil. I will provide grass in the field for your cattle, and you eat and be satisfied. You see how that promise? Lord it promise of blessing here. His premise on if you faithfully obey my commands. So the concept then of standing confidently in God's promise, if one uh, fulfills the condition or conditions of a given promise is even clear from the matter of prayer matter of prayer now often believers are encouraged by preachers or pastors to pray with the assurance that God will answer their prayer it sounds good to say that and you know many people are uh, excited to hear that again pray God is going to answer you Yes, except that they don't put that condition. That's a condition. It's not everyone that will pray and God will answer. Because a condition goes with it. And so, this condition is really living the life of obedience to God's word. That is the condition that must be attached to, okay, you pray, pray about this. Yes that you must attach that condition so long as you are living according to his word. Now we know this because this is what the Lord is implying in what Jesus promised to his disciples as we read in John chapter 15 verse 7 John chapter 15 verse 7 Yeah. you know I'm saying and people say, write and say oh yeah, uh, prayers that bring results <laughs> a prayer that brings results must be a prayer that fulfills the conditions given in the Bible here it is here's what the Lord says if you remain in me that's a condition right if you remain in me and look at and my walls remain in you that's, those are two conditions now then he said ask what you wish and it will be given you Now, I, before I get into to remain on all that see when he said whatever you wish that is dependent on you living in the world because if you live in the world whatever you wish cannot be anything contrary to his will doesn't mean it's not a blanket check Whatever you, you see, your desires, your desire will be controlled and governed by the word if you live in it. So that when he says, yes, whatever you wish, it will be given to you. It has to be because you are living according to his word. And there are things you cannot go and live or ask for because you live in his word. That's why he said, you know, he said, we pray, at, you know, lost him for this and lost him for that. And we don't, he doesn't answer. Because that's contrary to his will. Anyway, here though, the condition is, if you remain in me, that's the condition, and my words remain in you. Now, to remain in the Lord, and his words remain in that person, is a way to say that if we should live in obedience to God's word so that we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. So when he says, to live in me and my words remain in you, that's simply that you should live in uh, obedience to God's word and so then be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now so a believer who does not meet this condition should not confidently expect God to answer the individual's prayer. I mean I know some people just they pray it's just it's a routine thing they do. They are not expecting results. But if you're serious about getting results then you must be serious to ensure that you are meeting this condition. It's because God cannot arbitrarily answer prayers without these conditions being being made. So that's why the conditions are important. So, in as much as the lesson that we're considering encourages us to claim God's promises and stand on them, but we should not ignore that the lesson we stated is premised on fulfilling of any implied condition or conditions that must be satisfied before the promise is to be realized. So, be, whenever you claim a promise from the Word of God, be sure of the condition, what it says, and be sure that you've made that condition. If you've made that condition, you can go and be confident that He'll answer you. That is something that we all have to struggle with. Now I know, uh, I imagine some of us, we, we just pray. We're not keeping track of what we're praying to see how what how many of it have been answered. But if you're going to be serious about your prayer life, that you must do. You'll be mindful of your life, you'll be mindful of the requests that you make, and see how many of them are answered and those who are not, and prove why not. Anyway, so Moses was aware of the importance of fulfilling any condition that is necessary for the promise of God to be realized. The Lord had given him instructions that must be fulfilled in order to ensure that the promise of providing water for Israel is realized. Now because Moses recognized his truth, we read in the last clause of Exodus 17 verse 6. Look at what the last clause reads in the NIV. 1984 edition reads. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now literally. The Hebrew reads. And Moses. Did so before the eyes of the elders of Israel. Now, the literal translation that begins with the conjunction and because the Hebrew begins with the same Hebrew particle that we previously stated is often translated and in our English versions, although it has other usages. Now, in this last clause of Exodus 17 verse 6, the Hebrew particle is used in the sense of, that is why. Not, and that is why. Or to, to indicate that because Moses realized that it is only if you obeyed the Lord's instruction would Israel have drinking water. And so he acted in obedience to God's word. So we are saying that it is because Moses realized that although the Lord had promised water coming from the rock that such would not take place without him obeying the instruction of the Lord to him. So anyway, Moses' obedience to the Lord's instruction is given in the verbal uh, phrase of Exodus 17 verse 6, when they say, did this, or literally the Hebrew, the Hebrew say, did so, did so. Now the translation of the NIV or other such English versions that use the relative pronoun, this, may be limiting, or may be limiting the extent, of Moses' obedience to only the striking of the rock, as some English versions have done, such as the New Living Translation. They actually imply just referring to that rock, eating the rock. Well, if the relative pronoun is to be used then, in my understanding, it may be better to use the plural. Not the singular, the plural. Now the translators of the new century version, when they use the phrase, these things, these things are more in keeping with the interpretation that we are uh, advocating here. So we mean that the use of the phrase, these things, help the reader them, Not to limit the extent of Moses' obedience to only the striking of the rock. Now the word this of the NIV is really how its translators translated a Hebrew word that its meaning is dependent on how it is used in a given context. For example, if the word is used as an adjective, it could mean something like Right or correct? Right or correct? Now in our passage, it is used as an adverb. So it is used to pertain to a sequence of events re- referencing to that which precedes and so means something like so or does. Hence, majority of our English versions translated the Hebrew word with the meaning so, so. Now the meaning of so enables us uh, not to limit the obedience of Moses to just the last instruction Moses received from the Lord. Now we know that he had received four commands prior to this last command that required him to strike the, the, the rock. Now if Moses did not obey the previous commands he received, he would not have been in a position to strike the rock. I mean... If he did not present himself to Israel to choose some elders, and if he did not continue to the location the Lord instructed him, he would not have carried out the last instruction of striking the rock. Thus then, the verbal phrase of of the NIV that reads, Did this, should better than be translated, did so. So that so here refers to all the commands that God had given to him, not just the last one of striking the rock. So in any case, the verbal phrase of the NIV, did this or did so, refers then to Moses obeying the various instructions the Lord gave him regarding the complaint of the Israelites about lack of water at Rephidim. Now we mean that Moses appeared before Israel and led the way to Mount Sinai with his staff in his hand. After he had selected the elders to be by his side as he traveled to where the Lord instructed. He struck the rock with his staff so that water poured out from the rock uh, at Horeb for Israel to drink. Now Moses' obedience to all the lost instructions occurred in the presence of the Israelites since all of them traveled with him. Nonetheless, the last instruction that Moses obeyed that involved striking the rock was limited to the observation of the elders of Israel that he chose. Now we mean that although Israel traveled with Moses to Horeb. Only the elders who were closest to him saw him strike the rock. Now it is not difficult to understand that when a crowd gathers around a leader where there is no uh, raised platform that sets the leader apart from the audience that only those who immediately Surrounding individual uh, we see what he does. It's for this reason that we read them in the last phrase of Exodus 17, verse 6, it says, In the sight of the elders of Israel. They all were there, but why say, In the sight of the elders of Israel? Because those are the ones around him, and they're the ones that will see this. Now, anyway, this is again because the word sight of the NIV. It's translated from a Hebrew word that basically means I, as an organ of sight. So the word may mean spring of water. That, that is really a water source which comes from uh, the ground. Uh, so groundwater source as the word is used in Exodus chapter 15 verse 27. Exodus, chapter 15, verse 27. Exodus chapter 15, verse 27 reads, Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Now, this aside... The Hebrew expression that literally uh, means, before the eyes of, that's what the literal Hebrew reads, before the eyes of, could be translated then in the presence of, or in full view of. In full view of. So, the last obedient action of Moses, that involves striking the rock at Horeb. Took place in the full view of the elders that were closest to him. So the point is that that there were many eyewitnesses to Moses' striking of the rock at Horeb that resulted in the miraculous provisions of drinking water for Israel. Now, be that as it may, the Lord provided water miraculously. From the rock at Horeb. Now Moses. So. Moses uh, gave two names. To the place of the miracle. It is this action of. Moses naming. The place of the miracle. That is given then. In Exodus chapter 17 verse 7. Because he reads And he called the place. Massa Amereba. Massa Amereba. Now the word Massa. It's translated from a a Hebrew word with three meanings. The word may mean trial or test. Trial or test. As the word is used by Moses as he he rehearsed God's dealing with Israel in the desert as part of his farewell uh, address to them, or some say his Last summons, as recorded in Deuteronomy, Chapter Seven, Verse Nineteen. Deuteronomy, Chapter Seven, Verse Nineteen. it is you saw with your own eyes the great trials that's a Hebrew word it's a Hebrew word masa the great trials the miraculous signs and wonders the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out the Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you are now that you now fear Now the word also may mean despair, despair. That is of course a state of hopelessness and distress as it is used in Job's reply to the speech of his friend Bildad, according to Job chapter 9 verse 23. Job Job chapter nine verse twenty three. Job chapter nine verse twenty three reads, "When a scorch brings sudden death, he mocks the despair." That's how uh, the word "massa" means the despair of the innocent. Now the third meaning of the word though is a reference to a site in Horeb where Moses drew water for, from a rock. It is this third meaning though that is used really in our passage of Exodus 17 verse 7. The name of a place. Now the, the word Mereba is translated from a Hebrew word that has two meanings. The first meaning is quarrelling, or, stra- or verbal strife as the word is used to describe the conflict between Abraham's housemen and the house and, and those of Lot as described in Genesis chapter 13 verse 8. Genesis chapter thirteen, verse eight. Genesis chapter thirteen, verse eight. It is so, Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling, that's the word, Meribah. Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your husband and mine, for we are brothers. Now the second meaning of the word is a reference to the site in Horeb where Moses drew water from a rock. Again, it is the second meaning that is used in a passage of Exodus 17 verse 7 when it says, Uh, when the phrase is used as the phrase uh, "Masa and actually reverses the order of the events described in Exodus 17 verse 2 since quarreling with Moses as he described uh, described it preceded Israel's testing of the Lord now the text here does not tell us the reason for this Changing order, but it's probably because the first explanation Moses provides uh, for the names agrees with the second word, the river. Now, it is interesting though that Moses gave two different names to the same location. Now, this is because names usually have meanings among the ancient people. No, we know, we just give names, today, John, whatever, just give them. But people gave them, in the ancient world, a name that has a meaning. Thus, the names Moses gave to the same location are intended there to convey two messages. The first message is concerned with Israel's action of complaints towards him, or directed towards him. As we read in the closing of Exodus 17 verse 7. Look at what it says. Because the Israelites quarreled. That's what that name is given. Now literally. The Hebrew reads. Because of the quarrel of the Israelites. The quarrel of the Israelites. Now the word quarrel. In a literal translation. Is really translated from a Hebrew noun. That may mean strive or dispute. Now it is in the sense of contention that the word is used. Thus, the word is used to describe Israel's contention or complaint against Moses at Rephidim, for lack of drinking water, as stated in Exodus chapter 17 verse seven. So Exodus chapter 17 verse 2, sorry. Exodus chapter 17 verse 2. Exodus chapter 17 verse 2 reads, So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the law to the test? Now the second message, conveyed with the second name, Moses gave to the, the site in Horeb, where the Lord provided water miraculously to Israel, is to remind Israel that they tested the Lord, as we read in Exodus 17 verse 7, where it said, because they tested the Lord. Now literally, the Hebrew reads, because of their testing Yahweh, because of their testing Yahweh, to convey then that the Hebrew this is a verbal noun or an infinity. Now that aside, the word tested of uh, the NIV is translated from a Hebrew word that we considered in Exodus 17 verse 2. The Hebrew word Nasa. Now we indicated that the Hebrew word converts two senses. It is used in the sense of attempting or trying to do something that may lie Aside the normal or recommended behavior, another sense of the Hebrew verb is to test or to try someone or something in an attempt to learn the true nature of that thing or of someone. In our passage of Exodus 17 verse seven, the word is used in the second sense of the test. Or to try someone or something in an attempt to learn the true nature of the thing or of someone. So we indicated in Exodus 17 verse 2 that Israel challenged God by what they said. But we did not go into detail regarding what they said other than they complained against Moses and the Lord. However, after Moses named the place of Israel's testing of the Lord, he revealed what it is that the Israelites said that constituted a challenge or a test to God. He just said they tested him. But now we have what it is. What they said implies that the Lord was not present with them as indicated by the question Of Exodus 17 verse 7. Look at that question and say, Is the Lord among us or not? That's really what they were saying. Now, for Israel to question if, in a sense, you know, for them to question if the Lord was with them or not, implies that they were saying that He was not with them. So To me, what an insult to the Lord, or what a total display of unbelief. You see, for those who have seen the presence of the Lord manifested as pillar of fire or cloud, to question the Lord's presence means that they were ignoring The reality they had observed and continued to observe as they travel from place to place in the desert. Now that is one of those horrible things you see among us humans. When we are out of work with things, we forget the goodness people show to us. We think about this moment and we cut out in our thinking no matter how nice the person has ever been you're just thinking about that moment now, you forget the rest which is an awful thing to do as a believer so this is what Israel uh, uh, did here, furthermore they have witnessed the Lord display of his power in his miraculous de- the deliverance of them from Egypt the dividing of the Red Sea and they lost provision of food And water when they were at Marah. Thus, when they questioned the presence of the Lord among them, that is tantamount to unbelief in his care for Israel. They didn't believe it. So anyway, Moses gave the two names of the place where the Lord provided water to Israel from a rock to remind them of their failures of complaining against him and so against the Lord and questioning his care for them I trust though that you, the believer will not act like the Israelites after you have observed God's goodness to you in various ways you should never, never question the Lord's care of you never do that No matter what you face. Never question that. Now to do so. Means you are insulting the Lord. As Israel did. So anyway. As we end our study. Let me state again. The general message. Of Exodus 16. Verse 1 to chapter 17. Verse 7. Which is be careful. About grumbling against your spiritual leader. Since doing so. Is the same As grumbling against the Lord. Understand and apply this. Fourth lesson that we focus on. Which is. Learn to claim. The promises of God. Provided you fulfill. The implied conditions of the promise. And stand by them. Until. You get results from him. Heavenly Father we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will challenge us. To be those. Who are mindful. Of your promises, mindful to be obedient to them, and mindful to be very gracious and to be thankful towards you for every good thing that you have done in our life, for all the things that you put in our ways, even the difficult situations, that we become thankful, knowing that all of these are part of a great majestic plan that you are folding in our lives. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.